Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hey, this is Ryan. Hey, this is Chuck. We're in Black Top Mojo, and you're listening to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody. Welcome to Guitar Talk. My name is Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for spinning back around to whatever streaming service you're listening to right now and listening to Guitar Talk. Man, I tell you what. You know, the more I uh, I do this podcast, the more I love the guitar, the more I am passionate about all things guitar. My God, I find myself playing so much now uh, because I'm inspired by some of these cats. You know, I really, really am. And uh, getting the opportunity to, to learn the history and the stories and you know, where people are at and what's going on with their gear and stuff like, man, you don't get no better than that from a guitar player, you know. So uh, we want to keep that ball rolling, and we want to thank you for tuning in today. Now, you know, there's great blues players all over this country, but believe it or not, there's a lot of hidden gems on the East Coast. And tonight, my guest is one of those guys, Barrett Anderson. He's got a new CD out called Hypno Boogie. This guy, man, he's got a style of his own. He really does. He takes that whole Bo Diddley thing just a step further than uh, I think anybody else has. I don't know. You know, It's just my thoughts. But Barrett's a great player in that. And um, his album is really good. And if you get the opportunity to see him, you definitely want to check him out. But right now, you're going to get to learn more about this cat than you probably knew when you turned on Spotify or whatever you're listening to today. Um, because uh, this guy has got some stories, man. He's 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 a player, and uh, it was a real privilege to talk to him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shut my pie hole for a little bit. And uh hope you enjoy my conversation with uh, East Coast Blues guy, Barrett Anderson. This is Jimmy Warren. Hey, Jimmy, this is Barrett Anderson here. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, Barrett. How are you, buddy? I am fine. Happy to, to talk with you tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm really glad Mark uh, connected us. Me too. Me too. It's been, uh, you know, it's, I've been having a lot of fun working with Mark. He, he's made some nice connections. And also, I, I just have to say, man, I really dig your podcast. I've been thoroughly uh, enjoying uh, digging in and listening. And, uh, you know, you, you have a, a subscriber over here. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that. I really do. You know, we try, we try to bring an eclectic group of people together, you know, to talk about you know, something we all really love, which is the guitar, so. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, I think it's so, so great, though, too, because, you know, you're able to get into kind of, uh, you know, into the nuts and bolts of guitar, but also, you know, music. I thought your, you know, the, the, um, the interview with Bernie, uh, was it Chevalier? There? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Char Charvelli. Charavelli, that's it. Yeah. You know, I just thought, like, how great to really, you know, it wasn't, you know, you, you, you had the gear talk and, uh, and a whole lot more than that, too. I just, I really, you have such a good, a good balance with what you're doing, it seems, man. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it just, 
You know, you know, people think that when when you do something like this, and I'm sure some guys do. When I used to do my original radio show, you know, I would I would go to people's websites and you know write down all kinds of questions and stuff like that, you know. And I don't do that anymore now. I just I go to the website, you know, and I I, I probably spend more time listening to the person's music uh, if I'm if I'm not super super familiar with them. You know, but, you know, if it's somebody like Larry Carlton or, you know, something like that, you know, who you've known for years, and then you just try to have a general conversation. Yeah. Whatever happens, it, happens. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. You know, I, I remember, like, growing up and, you know, like, getting, getting my, my dad was a librarian, so he had lots of, uh, I, I, I have quite the, the, Blues biography book collection, you know, and nice. I mean, reading all these, you know, like a great, there's some great biographies and Muddy Waters out there, but, you know, it's also like, you know, it doesn't really tell you anything that you don't know from listening to the music already, and I think you know, it just makes sense to, you know, yeah. respond to what you're hearing, and, and, you know, I mean, if, I don't know, things, things you don't want things to be too, too over, overthought and at yeah. the expense of, uh, of, of responsiveness and, and right. spontaneity. Right. Cool stuff happens when it's just happening. You know, that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it works. It just, it just happens. Isn't that now, true? So, so you said your dad was a librarian. So did you have a lot of quiet time around the house? Uh, you know, <laughs> he, he was a librarian by, by profession, but, uh, but that expanded to collections beyond books. So oh. music, he was a big music lover and, um, and you know, a great supporter and a great friend. He died from cancer uh, eight years ago. Um, but he was someone who, you know, he, uh, yeah, he made sure that I, that I um, had all the music that, <laughs> that I could listen to and more. And, and, um, and I think it's one of the big reasons that I, that I wanted to play the guitar in the first place. So, Despite being a librarian, there's there's plenty of plenty of good music on in the house at all points. Yeah. So did your did anybody in the house? Uh, did they anybody play? Did your dad play? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, my dad was a guitar player, and some of my oh. some of my very earliest memories involve uh, involve him and his guitar. I remember having a, a power outage in the little you know, rural central Massachusetts town where I grew up, and he had his uh, his. 1960 Martin out, and uh, and I just thought that the inside of that case, wanting to crawl in that case, you know, that orange plush velour or whatever, <laughs> you know, the orange velvety uh, fabric, that looked like just where I wanted to be. Um, so I couldn't have been more than three, I would think, because I have, you know, like a little one-year-old and a four-year-old. I look at them and I think about about their size in relationship to uh, to my guitar cases, and yeah, it must have been three or four at that point. Uh, but yeah, he played the guitar. Um, my mother sang and played the piano. Uh, there was a lot of classical music on when I was growing up. Um, one of one of my dad's kind of funny regrets at some point, he said, you know, he decided it was time to to embrace adulthood, and he sold all of his rock and roll and blues records and and invested in classical records. <laughs> and, and so, uh, but there was a lot of classical music growing up. And uh, and when I started to get into uh, into blues guitar myself, um, it was just this great excuse for him to dive back into something that 
that he loved. You know, he saw Lightning Hopkins and BB King and the Staple Singers, and you know, back in the in the seventies. And uh, so it was a great uh, excuse for us to to connect and to get to share a lot of time and really develop a wonderful friendship, kind of you know, adult to adult, not so much parent to child. And uh, yeah. and um, yeah, he was you know he was a great a great encourager of music. There were times where we'd drive like you know an hour and a half into uh, into the Boston area on a Saturday morning, and um, he'd sit in the car while I had, I'd have a guitar lesson with Paul Rochelle or or Ronnie Earl, and then we'd drive that hour and a half back home, hang out for a couple of hours before driving back into the city to go out to uh, to see Hubert Sumlin or James Cotton or Otis Rush at like the old uh, House of Blues in Harvard Square. You know, it was. Well, that's it, it was <laughs> That's really cool. So let, let's step back. Did you just say that you took guitar lessons from Ronnie Earl? I did. Yeah, I yeah. was. Uh, I feel like I've been very lucky to be in the right place at the right time at a number of points throughout my life. Um, so <clears throat> I got to know Ronnie initially just through going to his concerts. You know, he uh, he he is the local guitar hero in addition to the national guitar hero and. Uh, and so I took took advantage of that every chance that I could, and you know always went and uh, and talked to the band afterwards, talked to Ronnie afterwards, and um, it was actually at a Jeff Beck concert I bumped into him in the audience, and he remembered me and and uh, got my phone number and said he'd give me a call, and he did, and uh, and we wound up becoming uh, good friends, and he was just a fantastic teacher for a number of years. I, I wound up spending three years in his band uh, when I was 16. From 16 to 19, I got to got to play with him. And, uh, and you know, we had this this fantastic dynamic, actually, where I'd show up to his house, you know, the, the afternoon before a gig. I'd show up, and we'd sit on the couch. He'd take out a guitar. I'd take out a guitar, and he'd... Uh, He'd show me how to do something. You know, I'd ask him like, "What's that? What's that little riff here? Well, you know, what's that chord? Or, or where are you? You know, where are you working from when you're playing in this song?" Or, or uh, his vibrato actually was a big thing. I loved the way you know he's the way he bends strings and the way he uh, kind of wrings all the the emotion out of those notes. And uh, I spent a lot of time just watching how he watching how he shook the guitar neck. And um, but it, you know, so we'd have this kind of afternoon before the gig session where he'd show me technically how to do something and then that night at the show you know i'd be i'd be on one side of the stage he'd be on the other and he'd look over at me and make sure that i was paying attention and then he would then he'd do what we had had worked on earlier that day you know and i felt like i got i got how to do it and then i got how to use it from him and in addition to all the other uh you know life lessons guitar lessons uh, I have a newfound, you know, he, he certainly developed my, my appreciation of, of Cologne before going up on stage or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <boy boot. laughs> that's funny. That's funny. You know, that's really yeah, cool. that's about, about Jimmy Vaughn. He said, you know, that the trick is you have to put on enough Cologne so that it, 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 it uh, it clouds off of you while you're playing, and uh, uh, you know <laughs> there's some of those musicians. I feel like the post gig, you know, if you get a post gig hug from someone, 
sometimes you're wearing too much cologne for the next week, whether you're trying to or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. So when, uh, when before you hit the, the Ronnie Errol time in that, did you take any other lessons before that? Did you take them when you were just starting to play, or did you learn, you know, were you a learn-by-ear guy? You know, a bit of both, a little bit yeah. of both, really. Um, I started playing the guitar when I was, I was 13, when I officially dug in, and uh, I had played classical piano for about five years before that, and the piano was just never my instrument. Uh, it was, it, it was intimidating and terrifying, and, you know, practice was something that you had to, to get through every day, and, um, <laughs> and then I picked up the guitar and I realized, this is what I want to do, not what I, what I have to do so I can, you know, check off the little, you know, the, the mark on the sheet and go on to something else. And, uh, and so I started playing the guitar, um, picking up my dad's, my dad's old Martin and, and learning some chords. He, you know, pointed me in the right direction, helped me a little bit with some fingerings for things. And then for about the first, the first six months or so of playing, um, I took lessons from, you know, a couple of just the, the teachers in the local music stores and, uh, they showed me pentatonic scales and some chords and, you know, some, some definitely useful things. Um, but I also, you know, I realized relatively quickly that what I wanted to do was, you know, more, more along the lines of playing like Lightning Hopkins and, uh, and, you know, uh, are, you know, sparring with a teacher over over my desire to not read music versus their desire for me to read music didn't really help me with with what I wanted to learn at the time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so okay. well, I, I was I was kind of lucky, like I said, to be in the right place at the right time, and and I got to know uh, I got to know Paul Rochelle first, who's a wonderful country blues. Um, singer and, and guitarist and, you know, an incredible, incredible finger picker. I think one of the, the real historians of pre-1942 uh, blues. And, you know, and I learned, uh, learned a lot from him and then got to know Ronnie and started taking lessons from the two of them. And, uh, you know, that was, that was the, ed that was the education. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you, you, you went from, uh, a local music store to you know professionals i mean guys that you know had been road tested and label tested for years so uh yeah ronnie and those great players great players so would you consider yourself a you know i know a lot of blues guys aren't really gearheads you know what i mean in the sense that you know i know a lot of guys that you know i just plug my guitar into the amp and that's it and i got my you know, either got my Les Paul or got my Telly or my Strat, and you know, and that's it. Are, are is that you, or, or are you somebody that is really into? I don't know, maybe chasing some sort of sound, and you know, got to have a million pedals and always changing amps and guitars and stuff like that. It's it's uh, it's a, that's a good question, Jimmy. You know, I kind of I, I think that I have my 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 feet kind of firmly planted in both camps. <laughs> no, okay, all right. You know, um, when it comes down to it, uh, it's important to me to be able to get what I want to get uh, out of out of the guitar and out of my fingers, and and um, 
But, you know, I, I also am very aware that I'm able to say that because I'm not fighting the gear that I have and that I have the gear that I want to have. So, you know, I, I, I like to play Italis, but I've certainly, my main guitar is something as a, a, you know, a parts caster. I've put it together from, from various, you know, various things, and I assembled it myself, and it's very lucky because, you know, when I strung it up the first time, it amazingly worked beautifully. <laughs> that hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, so I, I feel like I can... I can definitely hang with, uh, in, in a conversation, I can hold my own about, you know, boutique pickup makers or, or even, you know, cryogenically freezing your wire to realign the microns to, to have clearer transmission of tone or, or all that. Um, but I also try to keep it in perspective and not right. spend more time, you know, reading about gear or thinking about what I can do to, uh, to make my guitar play that little bit better, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm the bulk of my time is spent actually playing the guitar and not thinking about about uh, what kind of strings I have on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, there's it, always a, you know, what music and and you know and playing the guitar and equipment and sound and all that stuff, you know, is really subjective to the to the individual, you know, it's, it's so different for each of us, you know, I mean, it's really diverse. I mean, I mean, all you got to do is just look at the world of music and, and, you know, and you see that, you know, and, um, and, and I think it's, I, I, that's one of the reasons I love talking to guys uh, about their playing and about their gear, because, you know, uh, everybody's different, you know, we're all different. You know, yeah, and uh, we're all we we all want to create our own sound and our own thing, you know, to some degree, which is difficult in a world, you know, where there's already been a you know a bazillion guitar players before us. That have, you know, pretty much there's only a few people that have come along that have really innovated things, you know, and unfortunately we lost that guy, one of those guys this week, you know, last week, but um, you know. It's different for each of us. So, so I, I see you a lot of times. I watched your videos and you know and stuff like that. And I see you playing a, a, a blue telly for the most part. I think a telly is a great instrument. I think it's, in my personal opinion, it's one of the most versatile uh, guitars that's out there. Yeah, I feel like it really it it gives back what you put into it, and uh, and that does that allows for a lot of a lot of your touch to come through. Um, you know, I love it when I hear, when, you know, there's some guitar players, or some recordings, maybe it's kind of, uh, it's, it's partially, partially that too, but when you can really hear almost like the fingertips on the strings, I think, like, you know, there's just so much, yeah. so much nuance, and, and tellies really do, they, they, I feel like they transmit all of that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you can get something good from a telly, I, I think you're, you're, probably doing all right <laughs> yeah yeah it, I, i've had some i've had some really great world-class players you know that have said the exact same thing they absolutely they got every instrument you can imagine but the tellies their go-to you know it's just their you know look at you, you can do anything with it right you really can't you know, you know, this is kind of kind of connected but, but uh when towards the end of the of the the shows with Ronnie, he would often do this thing where you know he'd 
he'd walk out into the crowd with with his hundred foot guitar cord, and so I'd kind of try to try to follow behind him closely and and help navigate the crowd and and you know work it a little bit. And then he would usually, at some point, then he'd take his guitar off and put it on my shoulders, yeah. and. And we'd end the shows with with me playing through, you know, through his strat and through his super reverbs, and it always, floor, you know, it all it always struck me that, uh, you know, that I could play through his exact rig, his exact settings, nothing changed, and it never sounded the same. You know, it, it never it never was like it always it always sounded like me. It never sounded like Ronnie when I was playing his guitars. Yeah. Well, you know what I. I my personal belief in that is, is it's because of, I think it's the the touch, it's the hands, you know, because it's that way with all great players. It doesn't matter what what they're playing through, what guitar, what amp, whatever. They sound like them, right? You know, yep. they do. They sound like them, and it's, I think it's in the touch personally. Yeah, and isn't that you know? Then I feel like such a a funny thing when there's like the uh, you know. A, Jeff Beck strikes me as a great example, or Derek Trucks is another one. Where it's, you know, man, you can go and you can pick up that signature guitar, but but you aren't going to be able to conjure those sounds. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and, and everybody kind of leans towards. They got their their players that they they like, and if you're a guitar player in the beginning, you know, you want that sound. So let's say. You know, I, I run into young guys. Angus Young is their guy. So what do they do? They buy a Marshall amp and an SG. Yep. You know what I mean? And you can somewhat get that that sound, but you're you're not going to be able to to mimic it. You know, you know perfectly and stuff like that. But uh, but I, I think it's really good to to keep an open mind and to experiment. You know, I'm with you. You know, and I really I think. Um, you know, I respect some, you know, I, I, I respect, some, you know, like Jack White is one of, I think, one of the more compelling guy, you know, guitar players of the last, you know, 20 years now. And I can definitely respect all of the, uh, the, the parameters that he's imposed at various points. But when it comes down to it, you know, right, you, I mean, who cares if you're using, Pro Tools or, or not, or if you're, you know, no one's going, the, the people who would go up to you and say, you know, man, your your record sounded really good because it was on tape, you know, I feel like those people, um, yeah, you, yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to insult anyone there, but, you know, I think, like, if, you know, you can, you can make someone feel something regardless of the medium, you know, and, right. um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of, that emulation thing. I mean, that is that's we all that's we all start from from you know chasing the sounds that we love, and and then it's our personal interpretation that makes it unique. You know, I, I uh, for years I didn't use any pedals. You know, it was it had to be the guitar and the amp and and the chord, and uh, you know at times not even a, a tuner in between, and uh, and. You know, but I just like I, I love I love Jimi Hendrix. You know, I love that band of Gypsies. Uh, I, I think that that uh, that live album is just is so powerful. And then that that multiple disc set that came out last year. I mean, it's just breathtaking to hear the creativity from from you know song to song and and the variation and and you know. So at some point, I had to accept that 
I really wanted to play with a fuzz face and, and an Octavia. <laughs> so that's, you know, essentially what's on my pedal board at this point, and I use, the, I, I use them sparingly, but they, they make, you know, they get turned on for, uh, for at least one song in every show, it seems. <laughs> yeah. you, want, you, want, you want to hear a funny story? I, uh, uh, I think it was 2010. It was a couple of years before I stopped playing. I uh, I put out an album, which was like my fifth or sixth album or something like that. And I was using uh, Betsy Brown. I don't know if you're familiar with Betsy from Blind Raccoon. She's a public, she's a publicist. I was using her as my publicist. And during the Blues Music Awards that year, she did a showcase for all the people on you know that she was handling. So it was like us and Mickey Thomas, you know, from Jefferson. Uh, Starship was one of her artists, and Phil Gates, who's now over in Europe and stuff. Anyway, um, so we, we were at the Rum Boogie Cafe in Memphis, right? And and I'm 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 not you know uh, I'm not a purist in the sense that I don't think I've ever in my life gone straight. Just I mean I do when I practice at home and play at home. In that, I don't think I've ever gone straight from the guitar to to the uh, to the amp. So I bring in this pedal board that's about the size of the stage, and it's got every freaking pedal you could imagine on this thing. But the one pedal that I had on there, which which made it really funny, was that Digitech whammy that uh, that you know it's got all the different uh, you know it's like an octave or two. You know it's got all the different. So you can get some really crazy. I mean, Joe Satriani uses it to get those real yeah, crazies. Yeah. So, so here we are. We're just doing. You know, it's blues rock stuff, really. You know, yeah. is what we're doing, what on the album, and so we're we're playing. And then all of a sudden, I just decided, you know what? Piss on it. I'm going to use this pedal. And uh, if, if, I'm sure you've been to the Rum Boogie, but you know, from this the front of the stage to where the people sitting in front of you is only like what ten feet, if that. Uh-huh. You know, eight feet, if that. I mean, it's really, really close. And so we're playing, and it's kind of loud in the place, of course. And that, and I hit that pedal, and I hit a, a really high-pitched, you know, kind of squeal kind of thing. And you could see everybody in the front of the room jump back and put their hands over their ears. It was so funny. And then, of course, people were like, man, you really shouldn't have used that pedal and that. It's like, why would you have to use that thing? It's like, that was so bad. And I was like, I don't know. I just felt the urge to use it. And Michael Burks was there. And, huh? he, and he came up to me afterwards. And he goes, son, you need to take that off your board. <laughs> oh, so man. It's, I'm just saying, you can go. It could be overkill. You know? It can. I mean, that's been, I, when, I, when, I first got my, uh, when I first got the Octavia, I was having so much fun with that thing. And, and I, you know, I... Wanted to play it on every song, but boy, it gets old fast. <laughs> yeah. Taste is important, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I've, I, I, you know, through through trial and error, after so many years, I'm that guy that if a pedal comes out, typically, you know, I'll I'll try to buy it if it's in if it's in my wheelhouse, if it's you know a certain type of pedal, you know, I'll I'll, I'll get it, and that's one of the reasons you know I probably have three three hundred fifty pedals. And I, I get these pedals and I, you know, I got to test them out. But over the years, I've just whittled it down to, I like to play clean through the amp in that, but I use, uh, I stack delays. I stack three delays 
through the effects loop of my amp, and I use those as my reverb. I don't put you don't use any reverb at all. Oh, cool! Because the delays will take out the mushiness, the sponginess that a reverb gives, huh. and the delay will will give you will give you fullness. It'll give you body. It'll give you that depth that you're trying to get with reverb without that sponginess. Interesting. And so, oh, cool. yeah. And? And so you just you just you know you got to yeah. fiddle with them and you just learn to stack them. You know, so there's three of them on on a small board that goes into the effects loop. And they're they're set at different levels, but they're like they're really low levels. You know what I mean? It's like uh-huh. it's really not that much at all, but it it does give you that fullness. And, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and so I just got used to to that going through the effects loop. I always use I I like a I, you know, I like a vibe. You know, use a vibe, use a wah. I stack two overdrives. I used to use the Klon. You know, uh, the Klon was my main one, and then I use a, a D-style pedal, which, you know, is usually like an Ethos or a Zen drive or something. But now, I've got a, I've got a D-style pedal, the, the uh, Vertex, which is which stacked with the Free the Tone uh, Plexi pedal, which is their Fire Mist. And those are set at moderate levels so that you can get a really, clue, really clean blues jazz type tone. And then you can get kind of a, uh, you know, uh, a somewhat gritty tone. And then you can just, you know, uh, if you if you combine the two together, well, you can get, you know, pretty hard if you want. And then a couple of good EQs so that you can, you know, you can EQ those uh, overdrives so that they are clear and clean where you can still hear the notes and it's not so distorted that it just, you know, all mushes together. You know, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, one thing that I've, I've been thinking about for, I mean, for 20 years is, like, what sounds distorted to me and, and what's not and what yeah. doesn't. And, you know, I've, decided, I've realized, like, the kind of, if there's a strong fundamental, yeah. you know, it, I mean, it just, and this, this is just my perception, you know, but if there's a really, like, a strong fundamental tone, it can be, it can be as fuzzy, as distorted as anything, and that, it, that, it still feels like uh, almost like a clean sound at the heart of it, you know. And and uh, I, I mean, even like um, the who's the, the Joey Santiago from the the Pixies there, you know. I, uh, I felt like his his tone, you know, it was kind of buzzy and fuzzy and, and squawky, but but there was this real kind of clear bass note that never never disappeared, and in some way, it just it never sounded quite as. Uh, is is distorted as some other notes, some yeah. other tone. Yeah, I did an interview. Yeah. I did an interview one time with a Peter who is the uh, guitar tech for David Gilmore, and David Gilmore uh, stacks uh, those BK tube driver uh, huh. pedals, which which are really cool pedals, and especially if you get the ones with the bias control on them. But he'll have three of those, and what they do is is that they'll use an EQ after each overdrive pedal and that so that they can clean up that overdrive tone so the object is is to maintain a, a solid perfect tone all the way through the the signal chain and um it could because you know you can hit an overdrive pedal or a distortion pedal or whatever it is or fuzz pedal and it can it can sound really cool but it can be so fuzz to the point or so distorted to the point to where it's kind of garbled yeah 
And if you use a, an, e, an EQ afterwards, there's a way that you can clean clean that up so that you can still get the effect that you want and still, you know, uh, maintain the the tonal quality of being able to hear every note and being able to hear everything crystal clear. It's really cool process. You know, it's like a lot of guys don't, you know, a lot of guys don't do it because it takes up, you know, real estate using a preamp and using a couple of EQs and stuff like that. But, uh, but it's really cool. You know, it's, that's one of the things that that's really cool about guitar is that there's so many different ways to approach it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. you know, you're giving me a whole lot of interesting, uh, interesting things to think about here, Jimmy. <laughs> this is very cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't it funny too? I feel like you know, then you know, we all have our. We we think that uh, that the language the instrument is capable of is uh, is complete, and then <laughs> then someone, you know, then you got Jimi Hendrix or. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Van Halen or Dwayne Allman or, or, you know, I mean, Sonny Landreth strikes me as one of the more recent guys who, you know, he's just reinventing the entire, you know, vocabulary that the instrument has. It's, <laughs> it just, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it is like, what, what a beautiful and versatile instrument we, we, we get to play. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> when I was, so after, uh, after working with Ronnie, I, uh, I then, I spent the next three years with, uh, the Monster Mike Welch Band, and uh, and Mike was another you know long long time friend, another guy who I, I got to know just by by going to the shows. But um, for the first half of of that time with him, the bass player was uh, was this guy David Hall, who um, when he was eighteen he was a member of uh, of Buddy Miles Band. He played on on Them Changes and. Um, and I, I, he was actually, he wound up being one of the, the, uh, pallbearers at Hendrix's funeral. Mm. And, um, and, you know, it was this, he, he was just one of my favorite people to get to, to get to sit and to hang out with, you know? And, yeah. and, and I mean, what a treasure trove of, of stories he had, but it, it seems so funny to me. Mike and I were both, you know, no, no pedal boards kind of, kind of guys at the time. And, uh, and David would show up with a pedal board, you know, longer than, you know, as, as, as wide as the stage and during the, uh, the bass solos, he'd, he'd managed to use everything that was on it. And uh, I was <laughs> such a kick out of like, yeah, the guy in the band with the biggest pedal board, it's the bass player. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Know how to use them. That's <laughs> funny. That's funny. I actually, uh, I played with Buddy, uh, for uh, around nine months. In the the 90s, yeah. He came into Buddy Guys, because I'm outside of Chicago, came into Buddy Guys and uh, on a Monday night, and uh, the guy who was in a band with me was actually the drummer for for Buddy Guy at the time, Kevin Johnson. And so I would go up there and hang out with the house band, who were all a bunch of mixtures of guys from, you know, Coco Taylor's band and Junior Wells' band and stuff like that. And uh, one night Buddy came in and uh, I got the, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to play with him that night, you know, on a few songs. And then uh, afterwards, you know, we had a couple of drinks and, you know, it ended up me uh, doing a few shows here and there. And I got to play for him with a little while. So it was really cool. He's a cool guy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, so, so I got to ask you. Did you listen to, because I know you're a blues guy, but did you listen to a lot of 60s music outside of Hendrix and that? Were you into the, 
you know the yeah, whole. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely the way the way I think about my relationship with it all is that you know I think about the blues as being the language that I that I have uh, that I have available, but I'm not tied to it as the form, and so as a form, and so I'm happy to. You know, I'm, I'm really happy to, to dig in and to embrace the influences wherever uh, wherever you find them, you know. And, and um, I mean, the Allman Brothers, I think, were one of... When, when I think about perfect music, uh, whatever that means, and, and I'd have a hard time defining it more than perfect music, I think the Allman Brothers are right at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, certainly... Certainly, the Beatles and the Stones, and uh, I've only, it's only been in the last, the last decade or so that I've started to dig into Zeppelin, and, and I'm still at the precipice of that, and that's kind of fun, you know, it's nice to get to, it's pretty exciting to think there's a whole wealth of new music that I know, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that I know matters that I, I still have ahead of me, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I am, I'm really, I'm happy to, happy to, um, find the influences where you can and, and, and run with it. You know, I don't want to be playing the same kind of, the same 12 bar shuffle all night long. And so, right. you know, that carries through the, the, um, the original, the type of songs that I want to play, you know, if we're playing a 12 bar, an, an original 12 bar, um, I try to, to play with the form a little bit or, you know, just try to, try to give it, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of, of, Something you know, new is is probably pretentious to say, but something that's that's mine. <laughs> right. Well, the reason the reason I ask is because when I listen to your your album, that Hypno Boogie, when when I listen to it, in that it to me it's so reminiscent of the sixties. Ah, yeah. That sounds good to me, man. All yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got that old uh, oh. I want to say it's got that 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 like Bo Diddley early uh, Jake Isles type uh, sound to it. It's almost it's almost borderline borderline George Thorogood to some degree. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just got that kind of boogie's a good word, and 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 hypno's actually a really good way to lead into that word because it's just got that old you know free kind of you know sixties boogie kind of sound to it. Uh, you're you're uh, good ears, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> you're, a lot of the very—I mean, a lot of the things that were very uh, conscious, you know—in as, as we were working through this. And you know, it's interesting. It's uh, Hypno Boogie. It's a live album, but um, we took it into a studio called Dimension uh, Studios, and uh, just right outside Boston. And uh, George Thurgood, I think that he actually recorded Bad to the Bone there in the, you know, in the seventies. And, um, then it had changed hands since then, but it's, it's a funny little, funny little connection to make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I interviewed him one time and, uh, and I was, I was really taken back to find out that, you know, he was, he didn't really care so much about the guitar or playing guitar what what he was really into was the sound you know mm. and chasing that that song mm. you know but your material reminds me a lot of those guys because and it, and it's a in in some of those some of those songs that you're doing the style that they're in i mean that's you know that's it's almost like it's almost like something that isn't around anymore 
You know what I, I mean? Have, it's like it's really unique and, and it's popular to the point to where people really dig it, but there's nobody really doing it anymore. At least yeah. not that I'm aware of. You know, I, I live in a box home. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think you're, I think you're, you're so right with that. You know, and even, you know, like with the Jay Giles band, you know, Peter Wolf, I think, is such. Yeah. You know, there, there's no phoning it in with Peter Wolf when he's on stage. It's you know, every everything that he has is is in that moment and in that performance and in you know emoting, connecting, performing, you know, I mean, the idea of performing, I think, sometimes is, is in some ways, you know, overlooked, but just, you know, that full body, like, like, surrender to the music, and, you know, I think Chuck Berry was like that, too, and yeah. I, I got to see him a couple of times, and, um, you know, and watching, watching, you know, him expect the entire band to, uh, to, to respond, you know, when he moves his left arm back like this, or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. run, run these twice with his right foot, you know, they, they have to be on that. And, um, I mean, that style, it, there is something about that, uh, that uh, approaching the music like that, that does feel, uh, in a large part lost yeah. in today's music. And, uh, and, you know, um, it's, uh, it's a central thing to the, to, to my relationship with music, you know, I want, I want to to give everything that you have to it, and and uh, you know, you don't want to be thinking about anything else when you're playing the guitar. You want to be in the moment, and uh, you know, and um, I mean, that's if, if you can't if you can't get to that place, uh, you know, I why <laughs> yeah. it's hard it's hard to connect with. With other people, I think you know it's uh, it has to come from a deep spot in you. Yeah. So uh, when you're playing live, you know, are are you uh, are you a risk taker on stage, or do you you know your songs have the structure and they're the songs, and you stay within that? Yeah. You know, we definitely we don't play things the same way twice. Yeah. And um, and I feel very lucky to have. A band, uh, the bass player, um, and I, we go back 20, we've been playing together since I was 15, and, uh, you know, so 22 years now. And, uh, and so I feel very lucky to have, to have a band. I know that we're all listening, we're all responding, and we kind of, you know, it's like we have, we have a bit of a roadmap of, of the points that we want to hit, but, but we're open to taking whatever route seems like the right way to, to take to get to those points. Yeah. Because there's, there's, like, guys that will they'll take risks when they're practicing. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll like, try new new riffs or, you know, try different whatever, approach things differently. But when they get on stage, you know, they want to do it the way that they know it. They don't want to take no risks because, you know, they don't want to you know, make a mistake or something like that. And then the other hand, there's guys that, you know, they'll take those risks and they'll, they'll, uh, you know, they're willing to make a mistake, you know what I mean? In order to possibly achieve something pretty cool, you know? Yeah. One of the great, one of the great, uh, ways that the appeal of the Grateful Dead was explained to me was, uh, somebody said, yeah, you know, man, they, they jump off that cliff every night and yeah. 99 out of 100 times they fall but that 100th time that they don't fall is really magical yeah <laughs> yeah that's about it what about when you go into the studio when you're in the studio 
do you pretty much have, do you structure out you know uh, what you're going to do on every aspect of the guitar or are there times where you say i'm just going to improvise this and what happens happens and do a few takes and keep the best take or how do you approach that? much more of the latter than than the former uh all of my experiences have been um have been pretty loose uh my first album i recorded in north mississippi and 2007 with uh with Jimbo Mathis producing it and um and some some of uh, a band that he assembled of musicians down there and you know we uh we'd talk through the song a couple of times but I don't think we did more than we had to do more than three takes for anything and and uh and then my second album was in 2012 and uh and it was with a a an organ trio lineup that I had been playing with for um, for a couple of years. That it was myself and then uh, Ron Levy playing the organ. Who was um, he joined Albert King's band when he was 16 in 1966, I think it was. And then he spent the 70s playing BB King's band, and and you know, I mean, what a yeah, <laughs> what a what a monster of uh, of, of the organ and. Um, you know, he was, he was a full band all by himself. And then I had a pair of Hanson playing drums and, you know, we really, we went in and tried to, tried to capture the energy of what we're doing at any point, you know? So yeah, I, I, in, in general, I think I don't want to, don't want to have things thought through too much to the point that it becomes stale. And then. Uh, the new album, Hypno Boogie, it was a live album we recorded one night, one, uh, we did one take of each song and <laughs> one night, and so, boy, we had to nail it, but, uh, you, you know, yeah, I, I feel like you don't want to, you know, it's all, it's all mental, I think, really, but you don't yeah. want to have what you're trying to do get in the way of what you're capable of doing, so at some point, you know, and, and, like with with playing in general with technique i feel like you know i i want to have enough technique and enough available on you know under my fingers so that i don't have to think about trying to execute what i'm doing i want to i want to be thinking about what i'm trying to say with the music you know it's not if, if i'm trying if i'm trying to simply pull off what i'm doing then i'm i'm thinking too much about about the wrong part of the music i think <laughs> yeah yeah well so uh you know, I understand right now, you know, with the way the world is that, you know, guys aren't playing, you know, too much in that. Uh, but uh, do you have plans to once, you know, things open up and hopefully, you know, they will come spring or summer or however they're looking at it. You're going to go out on the road or you're going to stay close to home or what's your plan? We are ready. Yeah. You know, this year, um I mean, I, I feel like I've been in a very fortunate position to, uh, to you know, have to be healthy and, and happy myself and my family's healthy and happy and then to have had this, uh, this album to work on. You know, that's kept me feeling engaged with music and not like I'm just sitting around and twiddling my thumbs, you know. But yeah. we, I mean, we, we recorded a gig uh, at the beginning of February and, um, and then when kind of the... When shelter at home really hit in a big way, um, we were able to work remotely with the studio and finish it up over the next few months. So, um, and you know, we've been able to adapt, uh, but it certainly has been a different year than we.
we had planned or hoped for. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that an understatement? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so we have this machine built. We're, we're chomping at the bit to go, and I feel like as soon as, as, soon as, uh, as it's uh, available, um, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, be out there playing, uh, you know, pushing hard to, to, to share this uh, music with as many people as I can. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have plans uh, for maybe a studio album next year? I do. That yeah. has been the other, you know, the other engaging thing is, uh, you know, in all the downtime, there's been no shortage of of time spent working on new material, and I live in the same town or in the same area as uh, as the rest of the guys in the band, and we've been able to over the summer. You know, kind of get together with our guitars and sit outside and and comfortably play and work through some new stuff. But yeah, I feel like um, like there's there's a whole a whole new album's worth of material that is coming together. And and well, I would love to be able to get out on the road and uh, and you know road test these songs, get them get them kind of tight and right, and then uh, head into the studio and put them down. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. And is it going to be the, you know, is it going to be along the same, same vein, same, same style, that same boogie? Definitely. Yeah. 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 You I know, can't... Hypno Boogie, this felt really like the culmination of, of what I've been trying to do where, you know, I mean, it, right, it has, it has, you know, we start with a Bo Diddley song and we end with a Jay Giles song and, uh, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's a Sun House song in there, there's a Magic Sam song, you know, and there's all that, all yeah. that blue stuff. I feel like that is, you know, like I said, that, those, those, those are the words that I know how to use, but it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not like, it doesn't sound like West Side Soul and it doesn't sound like, you know, Muddy Waters or, uh, or Little Walter, you know, I think that it sounds, it sounds like our music and yeah. that's what I'm trying to do, you know, and I can kind of, I can listen to it and I can hear those, you know, the, 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 little bits of Quicksilver Messenger Service coming through, or the little bit of, uh, of you know, Jack White or, or the Campbell Brothers or, you know, whatever those little pieces. Or Morphine is another one of my, uh, you know, one of my kind of uh, favorite local guys, the, you know, two-string slide bass and baritone saxophone that sounds kind of like Jimi Hendrix. And, that was a cool sound. You know, and, I, and there's some, you know, some aspects of that. I feel like with this album, we just, everything kind of, came together beautifully and it gelled in some way and uh and and it sounds like the music it sounds like music that i want to listen to and sounds like the music i've been trying to make so it's definitely that's uh that's what we're gonna keep keep pushing with yeah well it's definitely uh it's definitely you and, and what i mean by that is is that it's it's a distinct sound cool yeah. man yeah it's a dis- it's a distinct it doesn't sound like you know every because every other blues player sounds like every other blues player and i and look at i've been in that world for a long time personally myself you know and uh and it's hard to, to stand out you know uh be yourself in, in in that in that circle because yeah. a lot of people in that circle want you to sound like everybody else in that circle you know what i mean i do man yeah. you know i think i've lost uh you know, I've lost work and I've lost some some audience because it's not, it's you know, it doesn't easily read as just straight traditional blues to, to some to, to people. Yeah, I know exactly 
what you mean, man. <laughs> yeah, but that but sometimes that risk is worth taking. You know, oh yeah, it's definitely worth taking because there's an audience out there, you know, that's into what you do, and uh, you know, and I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah, and all you know, I, I feel very grateful that uh, I get to, you know, I, I thoroughly dig the music that that I, I get to make, and uh, and that's that, you know, that's pretty nice. I, I know that. Um, you know, I'm proud of, proud of, you know, if, if, uh, if it never got shared with anyone new from this point forward, I'd still be very proud of what, what I've done. And that's, you know, that's a nice place to, to be in. <laughs> yeah. You and know, so my, I've done, uh, I, I've released nine albums, right? And, uh, I've always been in the blues, blues world. Look at, I've, I've, played with a lot of those old guys like Billy Branch and Bob Margolin and you know, yeah. a bunch of different people and stuff like that. And I've always made albums that I thought everybody else wanted to hear. And then in 2011, I did two albums. I did a blues album, but then I decided that I was going to take a risk and do something that I wanted to do, you know, that was completely out of my wheelhouse, which was I did a contemporary jazz album. All instrumentals, you know what I mean? Hey, you, you know, smooth jazz type stuff or whatever. And it was, it was my best album. I mean, it, it came out, it came out really, really good. And so I said after that album, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to not play to a specific audience. Make create an album, you know, just, uh, you know, um, you know, try to fit into a mold that evidently you know is not my thing you know what i mean i mean don't get me wrong the the new album that i did you know i had walter trout's band backing me on it and you know it's it's blues rock but it's definitely more rock than blues which is really my wheelhouse but uh you know i always made albums that i thought was going to fit a specific you know mold and and I and I don't like any of those albums. And I, you know, even though I had some success, I never had the success that I felt that you know I probably could have had. And I think it's because I catered to what I thought people wanted, as opposed rather than just doing my thing. Mm, yeah. You know. So hey. yeah, I would encourage you to do your thing, man. That's the plan. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my dad had good advice at one point when I was. Uh, um, I, during my first year of college, I, I was, uh, uh, you know, head over heels in love with, uh, with this, this woman who's now my wife. And, and, um, and I remember at one point kind of talking to my dad, you know, and having worked, having been, you know, working with Ronnie at that point. And, and it's funny you mentioned Bob, uh, Margolin. He was, he was the very first person to get me up on stage when I was when I was fifteen. My first professional uh, experience came with uh, with him and and uh, Pine Top Perkins. And, there you go. You know, good, good guys. It's such a cool a cool yeah. little community in the blues world. You know, I think it's it's a pretty special special scene there. But uh, you know, I was I was talking to my dad and and saying, you know, it's it's a hard life. I don't know if. If I really want to be a musician, you know, I think like maybe I could just I could just be a librarian and I could be happy and I could you know have a have a an easy, comfortable life with with uh, with my family and and 
and God said to me, you know, make sure that that you take the risks that you want to take. You don't want to get old and look back on your life and wonder what you could have done. You want to know what you're capable of. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's been a, a guiding thing for me. I, I want to know what I can do. Right. <laughs> Not, and, and it is, it's scary, man. You know, you know, I mean, jumping off that, uh, off that, that cliff is 99 times that you fall, they hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's the, it's the philosophy of the movie Step Brothers. Mm. <laughs> you don't lose your dinosaur. <laughs> okay. Right, don't lose your dinosaur. Man, That's... the only thing I remember from that is to not build a, a, a bunk bed by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it and think about that. And, uh, and pick up on what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, now you got to go back and watch it to find out what I meant by Don't Lose Your Dinosaur. Oh, uh, darn. Now, uh, there, you know, there's an aspect that, that makes us us, you know, that makes us unique in that. And there's a path that, you know, we sometimes want to take to utilize that. And, you know, there are things in life that come along that stop us. You know, whatever those things are, whether it's, you know, to fit a mold for somebody or because of fear or whatever it is, you know what I mean? And stepping out and being an original musician, doing original music, your own thing, your own way, you know, is uh, it's risky business. And it's, you know, it's it's scary in that because, you know, there's a lot of unknown things and sometimes there's no money or very little money and all this and that. But I've never met somebody that says, I I'm, I wish I never would have done it. Yeah. I've never met anybody that said that, you know, even people that don't make it or only make it to a certain level have always been extremely thankful, you know, that they took the chance and that they did it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. See, now I'm like Dr. Phil. <laughs> we can talk about stacking overdrives and chaining uh, delays, and we can get down to it and have some real therapy. The one-stop shop here, man. <laughs> you didn't know what you were getting into, did you? <laughs> no, Bear. You know what? I appreciate you. Uh, uh, I appreciate Mark. You know, connecting us and you coming on the show, and um, I dig your music. You know, I like what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I just wish you all the success in the world, man. And I'll have you on when your next album comes out. It's a plan. Uh, thank you so much. And by the way, uh, is it Six Feet Away? Is, is that, <laughs> am I getting the name right? <laughs> no, uh, Six Foot Apart. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some of the clips that you've put up of from that. Uh, well, there was, like, there was a, a gig in a pretty, what, what was it? It looked like a a pretty big space from a few days ago it sounded great man yeah it was the ballroom over at uh, the indiana beach resort nice. yeah we're, oh. we're playing the fisher theater which is an old historic theater in central illinois we're playing that in a couple of weeks that's so, cool i'm happy happy to see musicians starting to get to play music again things uh, are yeah. things are relaxing a little bit and opening up here right now at least but uh you know it's the whole world seems so day to day. You know, who knows that trend will continue? But man, I hope it does. Yeah, we, we need more music, man. That's that's it. I think. Yeah. Music is, yeah. Music is, is where it's at. We're losing <laughs> venues, and you know, it's like so many people I know of that are you know we're touring musicians or you know working at 
Home Depot and Trader Joe's and you know stuff like that you know because selling off all their gear and you know or a bunch of it you know just to try to get by and so i hope it you know for us in l because we're i'm in illinois and we've we've had some pretty you know strict restrictions and that uh everything's been outside until the gig we just did at the ballroom which was in indiana and the one we're doing in a couple of weeks at the theater but the one at the theater the theater holds 500 people but uh by the state regulations, they can only have fifty people in the theater. Yeah, even though even though it's three levels. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we got to do two shows, you yep. know, in order for you know the theater to to do okay. You know what I mean? And right. still not okay. You know, is last thing you would do is play a, a three tiered theater that seats five hundred and you got fifty people there. You know. Right. Oh man. Yeah, that was the last gig that I had. Is, is yeah, it's a place that I think generally could have uh, two hundred and fifty. You know, it's kind of a big room with tables, but generally they could they could sell two hundred and fifty tables, and uh, you know they can they can sell fifty. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's the way uh, Indiana Beach was like. That. that that place holds a thousand people, but there probably wasn't more than a hundred there. Yeah. You know, they couldn't they couldn't have you know more than that so but it was a good guy i appreciate you bringing that up thanks for for watching the videos cool oh yeah man well and thanks for all you do too i mean like you know like i said you know we need more music we need more we need more of the good stuff in life and uh you know this this podcast coming out in july i think uh yeah it's it's a real service that you're providing for people (laughs) and i don't i don't mean that in an exaggerated way i think uh you're doing important stuff here and uh so thank you. Yeah. Well, no, thank you. And I'm just trying to help people, uh, you know, be excited about the guitar and learn about some people that maybe they don't know about. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, because yep. uh, you'd be surprised how many musicians are out there that, you know, like I interviewed a guy who played guitar for, uh, uh, he's been with Jackson Brown for years, but He's played with everybody under the sun, Willie Nelson, Linda Ronstadt, Bonnie Raitt. I mean, I could go on and on and on in that. But if I told you his name, you know, the chances are most people are going to go, I don't know who that is. Right. You know what I mean? Well, damn it. Did you listen to Jackson Brown growing up? Oh, yeah, I love Jackson Brown. Well, there you go. That's your guy. (laughs) Right. Isn't it, you know, there was uh, someone like Clapton or Roy Buchanan or someone, I forget who it was, but... Uh, in some interview, they were like, yeah, man, every time you go to, you're going to hear the greatest guitar player in the world. Yep. <laughs> You've never heard of him. Yep, yep. yep. That's the way it works. <laughs> All right, man. Barrett, I appreciate it so much. Uh, That's lovely. Uh, a real pleasure, Jimmy. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Look forward to talking to you again later on. It's the plan. All right. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Take care, buddy. All right. So there you go. We said our goodbyes. There goes Barrett Anderson. I want to thank Barrett for participating in Guitar Talk. It was a real privilege uh, for me to be able to to chat with him. Make sure you're going to his website, BarrettAnderson.com. Make sure you're following him on all aspects of social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, wherever it is, and that you're paying attention to his new album, Hypno Boogie. So check it out. Okay. I want to thank Barrett for, you know, 
being my guest, you know, because it was a it was a privilege, man. It really was. You know, so now I want to turn my attention to to next week's show because I don't have a Sunday show uh, through December, but I got some special things in store for you. And uh, one of the things that I've come to to be a part of is the world of some of these new young rock bands that are starting to pop up that are just extremely talented got great musicians writing awesome songs but they're playing good old rock and man they got the guitar at the forefront again which i absolutely love and so uh next week uh on december 9th we're gonna do a double show uh and we're going to have a couple of different guitar players on. The first one is going to be Justin Young. And he's with a, a really good new rock band called South of Eden. You're going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, Justin's a, a player and he's going somewhere. That's for sure. In the band South of Eden, man, their music's fantastic. Really good band. Right after that interview with Justin Young from South of Eden... You're going to hear a conversation with Dylan Palomero from Magnolia Bayou. Now, I stumbled across this band, and I really like them a lot. I do. They bring in a flair of rock and country and, you know, southern rock and, uh, you know, high energy. Just a good band. And the band, once again, is Magnolia Bayou. And Dylan Palomero is the uh, guitar player. And so he's going to join me next Wednesday on December 9th, right after I have a conversation with Justin Young from South of Eden. So, you know, of course, you can go anywhere where you can stream music and check out these bands, South of Eden and Magnolia Bayou, because uh, you're not going to regret checking them out. Okay, so they're going to be on my show next week. You know, I appreciate you uh, tuning in. Please make sure that you're following me on all aspects of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then also at Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook. You know, like the page, follow the page, and then go to my website, Jimmy Warren Official, guitartalkofficial.com. Subscribe so that when all the special stuff starts to happen, It's going to be cool, man. You're going to really dig it, okay? And so just so you know, over the next uh, few weeks, you know, going through December and into January, I've got uh, Kim Simmons from Savoy Brown. I've got John Harrington from uh, Steely Dan. Chicago blues guitarist Mike Wheel, who's played with everybody in Chicago, I got Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, Andrew Davis from Them Dirty Roses, Becky Barksdale, who played with Michael Jackson, uh, Shane Tarot from the Neville Brothers and Hall and Oates, Frank Marino. I got Ryan and Chuck from Blacktop Mojo. I got Aldo Nova, uh, Carl uh, Verhan, uh, Simon McBride, Ben Poole, Shim Moore, Kurt Fletcher, Orianthi. Steve Lukather, Lee Rittenauer. I, I feel I feel like that's that's too much. I shouldn't have said all that. But I wanted you to know, man, there's a lot of good shit coming down the road. So uh 
So just stick around, you know. And before you know it, man, music's going to be back and it's going to be live and we're going to be killing it again. And we're going to be doing some of these interviews and kind of having some of these conversations live. And come January, the YouTube channel will pop. And everything that I'm doing right now that's video-based, because a lot of these interviews I'm starting to do are also on video. And you'll be able to, to watch them as well. So there you go. I appreciate you guys tuning in to Guitar Talk. My name is Jimmy Warren. Until next time. <laughs> Stay safe, guys. All right? Be cool.